Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Keep Portland weird. That is a common slogan of Oregon's largest city. But the rest of the country would rather at least one particular weirdness stay in Portland. Antifa, the radical left extremist faction that has spent most of the summer and fall rioting there. But what is Antifa? Is it an idea, an ideology, or a conventionally understood group? Joining me to explore this question is writer Mark Hemingway, a third-generation Oregonian who conducted an in-depth analysis of Antifa for Real Clear Investigations. Uh, Mark, if you could give your give our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, I mean, I, I was raised in Oregon. My mother uh, was raised in Oregon. Uh, my grandfather moved there from rural Idaho at the end of World War II to uh, weld ships in the shipyards for World War II. Um, and uh, I have, you know pretty familiar with uh, what's gone on in the development of Portland in the last 25 years, you know, aside from living in the state for a time. I lived in Portland for a while specifically. And uh, I've been reporting on it for a decade. I went back um, about 10 years ago when I was working at the Weekly Standard and I did a very long story called um, Insufferable Portland. This is when the Portlandia phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. That Fred Ar- the Fred Armisen show from the late two- from the late 2000s. Yeah, and basically the New York Times couldn't stop writing travel pieces about Portland and everyone was moving there and we're talking about how wonderful the place was. And I posted I basically wrote this long <laughs> article from the perspective of a you know longtime Oregonian saying, You people don't realize how wrong everything is going politically and otherwise, and this is all gonna fall apart. And that's kind of exactly what's happened. And and uh, and now we're in the period of the beginning of the falling apart. Uh, yeah. So Pacific Northwest has this long tradition uh, going back. You you mentioned the 1999 WTO riots in your piece uh, that were in Seattle. It has this long tradition of uh, militant left anarchism. Uh, and how 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 is that sort of the backdrop to modern Antifa? Well, it goes back a long time in the Pacific Northwest specifically. I mean, I, the Wobblies were very good at recruiting Pacific Northwest for whatever reason. Yeah, the the, uh, the wobbly ago. the wobblies are the industrial workers of the world. The, yes. the a radical so, socialist labor union that still technically exists, but was a a big deal, kind of in the early early twentieth century. Yeah, um, and there were some you know honest to goodness anarchist communities um, that were up there, but there was one famous one near Tacoma. So it was just kind of in the water. Um, and then the environmental movement uh, kind of happened in the sixties and seventies. And a big part of that was anarchy and or, you know, violence, if necessary, to stop development and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that was always a big thing. When I was going to school at the University of Oregon in the, in the, in the 1990s, just prior to uh, the bombing of the Oklahoma City building, um, there was a forest service station like 30 miles outside of Eugene, Oregon, that was like... And it was like 30 or $40 million worth of damage was done when an eco-terrorist burned the place down. And until mm. that point, it was the largest act, until the Oklahoma City bombing a short time afterward, it was the biggest act of domestic terrorism in the history of the United States. Um, and uh, that was a constant you know, strain throughout um, the 1990s of this eco-terrorism. It was very influenced by anarchism. And, and to you, this also, day- And you also, did, did you guys also have the animal rights extremism, the animal liberation extremism? The Animal Liberation Front and the Earth Liberation Front were the two big sort of terrorist groups, and they definitely worked hand in hand. I mean, some of the eco-terrorism was obviously aimed at, you know, livestock facilities and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
Um, you know, this is the sort of the big drop, big, big backdrop to growing up, you know, as a, you know, sort of early adult in Oregon when I was there, though, all that was going on constantly. And to this day, you still see, you know, Antifa groups in Portland that um, do environmental action stuff and, you know, talk mm -hmm. about that, although much less than you used to. Um, so then, but sorry. So, so we've got this this sort of long heritage of militant left, you know, militant left anarchism, the. Uh, eco-terrorism, the black bloc uh, approaches from the 1990s. And then what make, how does that then evolve into Antifa and what separates, again, I, I'm more of the school than Antifa as an ideology, a motivating, uh, a sort of motivating ethos for a particular kind of violent left anarchism. Uh, you know, what separates anti-fascism, anti-fascism, so-called, from other those other radical left movements and ideologies? Well, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I think in a certain way, there isn't a big like ideological separation. I mean, once you sort of acknowledge that violence is a legitimate political tool, you know, what particular flavor of ideology justifies that is, is kind yeah, of yeah. At, at that question. point, you're at that point, you're jumping on whatever you. On right. whatever is whatever is going to justify the destruction you already want to cause. But to address the evolution question a little more specifically, it was kind of a confluence of a certain of certain subcultures that were you know out there, um, which is to say that in, in the late 1980s in, in the U.S., although this has been going back a little further in Europe, there were some issues where racists had infiltrated the sort of punk subcultures. Mm. This is where you get skinheads and all of that stuff. Um and so as a sort of response to that, in the late 1980s, you, a group called Anti-Racist Action sprung up in, in um, Minnesota. And that was to, you know, fight the racist punk bands that were, were popping up, which were, you know, kind of a legitimate thing back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, you know, they, because it, these are punks, you know, punk already has an anarchic influence, right? You know, yeah. you see the anarchy symbol attached to that. Um, and then on top of that, because these are punks, they're very distrustful of institutional authority. So from the get go, they make, they make it, a, you know, part of their, you know, ideology, you know, or, or things written out on paper, you know, their, their precepts, as I should say, that they're not going to get the cops involved in this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be enforcing they're, their They're going to vigilante do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that sort of punk subculture, you know, clashed, you know, sort of head on and then met head on in the nineties with the sort of anarchy environmental subculture in Oregon. Um, and, and that's kind of, I think, where Antifa sprang up. Um, but, you know, that punk subculture was all over the U.S. It wasn't just the, you know, the anarchists in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, the first group calling itself Antifa actually originated in Boston in, in the U.S. In, in 2002. Now, there were earlier Antifa groups in, in Europe, obviously, both historically and through the 90s. But in the U.S., it, it really begins, you know, in the early 2000s mm -hmm. when this punk subculture um, starts meeting the, um, you know, WTO anarchists uh, that sprung up in the Pacific Northwest. And then how central is violence to Antifa's identity as a movement? I, I mean, it's absolutely... It is the thing. Um, it's really kind of amazing because they've been saying this stuff out loud for years and mm -hmm. no one's really been paying attention. Um, so, you know, I, I concentrated specifically on two books. One is a book called The Antifa Handbook by a, a lecturer at uh, Rutgers named Mark Bray. 
who's you know professor but he was also like an occupy wall street organizer so he's also a left-wing activist who's you yeah, know who, this is, who is i am i in my understanding at best at at least bad antifa curious if not actually an active supporter correct um and you know he's written other books on anarchist organizing the left and things like that and, and you know he and he he just comes out and you know says all this stuff that you know the antifa's core beliefs are basically that fascism is a constant threat in society uh and not just that um and it's not like there's some kind of like soft fascism or soft totalitarianism they're worried about like creeping along they literally regard anything that uh, they they label as fascism as you know it, some sort of incipient hitler that and, must and their be label stopped. and their label of fascism is all-inclusive of everything that isn't them essentially uh basically like, yeah like not anything... even not even that you have to be on the right but like the 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 sitting mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, a left progressive Democrat in every way, is in their eyes a fascist. No, <laughs> correct. That that's exactly right. I mean, anything that basically impedes their political goal of imposing some sort of you know anarchist utopia um, is in fact you know a fascist. Um, and you can see how that went down a slippery slope pretty darn fast to the point where now the Republican Party, the mayor of, you know, mayor of Portland, you know, ordinary Trump voters. I mean, these are all fascists. And because they believe these are that their opponents are fascists, they have this this weird justification for their violence that they've 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 erected, which is that because these people are all incipient Hitlers that must be stopped, it's actually an act of self-defense to go out into the street and affirmatively punch someone in the face, right. um, which is just, you know, bizarre. But I mean, they say this out loud and they have all kinds of extensive rationales for it. But but yeah, they absolutely justify their violence. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this isn't just a Mark Bray guy either. I mean, there, there was another book out there on Antifa by a guy named Stanislav Bisotsky, who again was like an actual member of Antifa. Uh, he's now a college professor of some kind, although I don't know if he's teaching anymore. He was a few years ago at some obscure university in Wisconsin, where, you know, he again, you know, lays out the same exact ideological, you know, rationale for, you know, self-defense as violence or violence as self-defense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, which, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is what they're saying out loud. So then let's get into some, you, you got into a little bit of the organizational backdrop of Antifa. It isn't, like, there isn't an Antifa core, I mean, Antifa central with a leader, correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, you know, they, they operate, well, one, they're anarchists, so right, they operate. Yeah, yeah, this. so it, it's the, I, I, the Monty Python, uh, not Life of Brian, um, uh, the the one with the 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 Monty Python where they're in Arthurian England and there's the anarcho syndicalist commune yeah with the anarchist peasant yeah exactly um so so yeah I mean they're they're anti institutionalists but at the same time like they know what they're doing so they know that if they don't have a like a formalized you know you know structured leadership with a website you know encouraging everyone you know to come down at specific meeting times that's going to make it much much harder for say law enforcement and other people who sure the the, F have... the fbi it's harder for the fbi to to infiltrate a group air quotes that do doesn't theoretically exist right and, and this has a lot 
very much in common with a lot of, you know, Islamic terror groups in the way that they have chosen to operate um, as well. I mean, that kind of mm -hmm. leaderless resistance model is very much a thing. But at the same time, this is very endemic to who they are. So when you, you know, when we had that autonomous zone set up in Seattle earlier this year that you know, ended up being a disaster right. where two people got killed. Um, that is a direct outgrowth of their anarchist organizing. They, they really believe that, you know, they can, they can set up areas where there's no like controlling authorities and everybody is just going to, you know, um, and, that, and that everything will be fine, <laughs> work in perfect harmony because that's the natural state of man, um, which is just insane when you think about it. But I mean, they really, really believe that, that if, mm -hmm. you know, people are just left with their own devices, they'll form these like perfectly orderly communes where there's no compulsion, you know, from the government whatsoever. So then who, what organization there, there you mentioned anti-racist action are there any organizations that can be identified that are supporting the extremist actions that are being carried out under the antifa banner so the closest thing to an actual antifa organization is something called the torch antifa network which actually does have a website and there are a number of chapters around the country of different antifa groups um that uh, are listed as members of the network and what was interesting about that is um once, uh, um, uh, the, so a guy I know who is a um, terrorism researcher mm -hmm. testified before Congress in August on Antifa, and he noted a very curious thing, which is that the web registrar for the Torch Antifa group is a guy named Michael Novick, who's a former Weather Underground member uh, and has been... Uh, the, as a, the, weather, and, the Weather Underground, for those who, who might not know, was a radical left terrorist organization that grew out of the 60s that operated from 1968 to the early 1970s grew out of the students for a democratic society uh best known member of course is bill ayers who was involved in the early political rise of former president barack obama yes and and the weather underground was specifically involved in you know violent actions it killed some people. Um, and then later on, after the collapse of the Weather Underground, uh, Michael Novick was involved in some other groups um, called the John, one called the John Brown Anti-Klan Committee, which many people, which has been reportedly uh, a front for something called the May 19th Communist Organization, which planned something like eight bombings in the early 1980s, including in the U.S. Capitol. Um, and uh, that, so yeah, I mean, he is, you know, a longtime, you know, supporter of violent terrorism, and he is running this, you know, Antifa um, network. And when I further dug into that, once I found out he was the web registrar, it turns out that the business address for anti-racist action is also Michael Novick's home in Los Angeles. So, you know, I, I don't know what law enforcement is doing about any of this sort of thing, um, but, you know, there's a long, you know, continuous strain of, you know, violent uh, left-wing terrorism here that is involved in these groups and this is not not new mm -hmm. um so I, I guess give a give what are you what, are, what is your c conclusion you know is is this going to be something that we're going to have to be watching out for in coming years is this going to be something that peters away if there's a change in the government is this going to be you know, a serious law enforcement problem. What are what are we looking at with Antifa in the future? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's, this is a huge problem in Portland, where the local government there, you know, while they may be, you know, officially Democratic Party members, 
have gone out of their way to present themselves as hard left progressives um, and have basically like tolerated this um, mm -hmm. under the guise that somehow cracking down on it would be the same as cracking down on peaceful protesters. And what's going on here is unfortunate because there are plenty, there are plenty of peaceful protests that have happened in, with regard to police violence and other things like that. And, and groups like Antifa are using that as cover to right. go out and do all kinds of bad things, um, you know, sort of, you know, in, in, the, in their name, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. And there's polling and other things that show that, you know, the violence has definitely impeded yeah, has, um, harm, has harmed the ability of serious reformers to get cross cross ideological, cross partisan support that might have been there for the taking in the wake of the most obviously the police custody death of George Floyd. Exactly. Um, and so I, I would hope that the people that are on the left would start to see that as a problem. And I think there are a few people who are starting to see that just in terms of Portland's ability to function as a city. Um, the business community is like you know, even before the George Floyd stuff and all of these you know riots this summer, they were absolutely tearing their hair out. I mean, the biggest names in business in Oregon, you know, the CEO of Columbia Outfitters, um, Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike have been, you know, screaming bloody murder. Um, 2018 was a bit of a wave election for Democrats, but there were polls, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before the election showing that the liberal Republican was leading um, in Oregon. Um, and I could, you know, see some sort of eventual political backlash. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's becoming a serious problem in part because people are just absolutely tolerating it. And the mm -hmm. other thing I just want to add is that even though we talked a lot about anarchism and, and decentralized organizing, these people do communicate, you know, they, they have signal chat rooms out on the streets, they carry weapons, they have hand signals and scouts that run around alerting people to the presence of police and other things like that. So they are effective. And, you know, if you go online, I mean, they're like, they share after action reports about what happens at protests and how they took over the police precinct in Minneapolis and things like that. So, I mean, they're operating uh, at a level of sophistication, you know, um, in terms of, you know, their, their actual operations on the street that, that should be alarming to law enforcement. Um, anybody mm -hmm. basically, but, they, but they've been, but they've been again, like you mentioned, tolerated by certain local governments. Yeah, that, that, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you're not seeing this happen in in Omaha for a reason. I think you are mm -hmm. seeing it happen in Portland and Seattle. Well, uh, Mark, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, our listeners can read his investigation, Roots of Antifa. This idea has violent consequences at Real Clear Investigations, and we will link it in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.